Can you imagine, and I think you probably can, that if the movie The Little Mermaid was simply the wedding scene at the end, so you have you know, a cute, red-headed, two-legged lady marrying a dark-haired prince by the seaside, you got a few sea creatures looking out, you got a lot of people, they're all really happy and celebrating, and that was it. It'd be lovely. It'd look nice. You wouldn't know what I was talking about because, quite frankly, it would be just, you know, rather boring and that would be the end of it. And it's an interesting thing where we know that that is like the main thing that the whole movie is moving toward. And we know it's sort of like the great pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the great trophy at the end. But if that was all it was, who cares? You know, like we're, we're not made for mere celebration. It's sort of like our faith, right? There's a reason why we don't just always go to Easter, right? That we're not just singing Alleluia 24-7 all the time. I know I'm not supposed to say that during Lent, but I want to make the point. You know, like, so we don't do that because it doesn't speak to the human condition. It doesn't, like, give what we need. And at the same time, The Little Mermaid is not just, you know, two hours of the song Poor Unfortunate Souls, right? I hate that song. Now it's going to be in your head like it's in mine. Um, Sorry for using this as an example. I figure a 30-year-old movie is kind of a good way to go, because hopefully most of us have seen it at this point. If not, I'm sorry, but I'm like blowing all the surprises. So, but if you look at that, it's like there's a lot of ups and downs in the midst of that movie, right? And yet... It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all terrible sadness. There's some, you know, exciting things that happen. You've got the risk of what may be. You see the sacrifice of her father and all of this stuff and all that. But if it was just the focus on the negative, we're not going to watch that either. We need the whole thing, right? And I, I bring that up because, like, just looking at this gospel today, you know, the gospel of the transfiguration, We always get this gospel on the second Sunday of Lent, which is a really interesting thing when you think about it, that the church gives us this gospel today about 10 days into Lent, and quite frankly, it doesn't feel very Lent-y, does it? I mean, it's it's full of joy. It's, It's this glory bursting forth, right? It's like, wait a second. I thought this was Lent. I was like, hey, everybody, get out there and don't have any fun. All right, way to go. Like, no. As we move through this, it's not a time of year of just poor, unfortunate souls. It's all bad. At the same time, we recognize the fact that life is not one long, ongoing party. And the way to celebrate the glory of Jesus Christ isn't just eating Easter eggs all the time and you know going in for full indulgence to celebrate. We know that there's more that needs to happen than that. And our Lord here taking Peter, James, and John up the mountain, right? He has just told them at this point in the gospel, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. And they still don't get it. They're falling all over each other. They're, they're you know, vying with each other for who's the greatest. What does he do? He takes them up the mountain and he gives them this glimpse of his glory, right? But you look at this glimpse of his glory And it points to the fact that later on, he's going to be on a different mountain than this one. Here he is on Mount Tabor. Later on, he's going to be on Mount Calvary. 
And to tell you the truth, the two are actually very similar in a lot of ways. Notice that here he is glorified with two on either side of him. Here's Elijah and Moses. Neither of them are perfect characters. I mean, read the story of Moses. You got the exile, right? You got the exodus. What does Moses do before any of this happens? He kills a guy and buries him in the sand, and that causes him to have to run away. I mean, he's no perfect fella. Elijah, after he proves God worth, what does he do? Bring the 450 prophets of Baal over here. We're slitting all their throats. Like, neither of them are perfect. There they are on either side of Jesus. What's going to happen on Calvary? There he is, in between two not perfect people, two thieves. One is going to say what we're going to sing in a little bit. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The other is just going to be terrible, right? There he is in the midst of two fallen people, but showing the glory of his love that cannot be overcome by sin and death. The great glory of the crucifix. Why he is there in every church all over the place, because that is the ultimate representation of his love. He gives us everything. And so the same glory that's present at the, same, at the transfiguration is the same glory that's present on Calvary. You've got at this moment here on Mount Tabor, the love, the glory of Christ bursting through. But I would say that the love is even more present, even stronger shown on Calvary. We want them both though, right? And as we look at our lives, we have moments of kind of seeing different glimpses of both. Here we are into Lent. Our our penances are probably pinching. It's a difficult thing. But Holy Mother Church doesn't want us to go through this whole season just going, poor unfortunate souls, it's all bad, right? Also, like our, our Holy Mother Church recognizes the fact that we're made for more than just indulgence, than just like big celebration, because that would get what? Boring, right? We're made for more than that. We're made for a glory, and it's interesting, because St. Mark's the only one who gives us the detail about Jesus' dazzling white clothes. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. We're no longer talking about mere earthly glory. This is something that's only there in heaven. I mean, even thinking, and I keep going back to the Little Mermaid, but it's, it's my analogy for today, right? So when you think about that, the wedding, okay, what happens afterwards? How do Eric and Ariel live after that? What is going to happen when she moves in and he finds out, actually, she's kind of a slob. I mean, look at all the stuff she's collected from under the sea. It's not good. Anyway, like you think about that, it's not all done yet. And yet with our Lord, we're moving towards perfect fulfillment with him forever. But we have to go through the ups and downs of getting there. The hardships that are there. And the thing is, it doesn't just come about by mere indulgence and celebration now. And so the church, just like last week when Jesus was driven out into the desert, we're driven forward in this season. And we've got to participate in the self-sacrifice. In, quite frankly, it's like the exercise of our faith that shows us by participating with our Lord, we get these little glimpses of heaven just like here at the Transfiguration. I'm going to give you a different analogy than the Little Mermaid. I'm going to give you one from my own personal life because that's the life that I know, and here it is. And, you know, this year, just always trying to do different things penance-wise, right? And I made the decision, it's like, okay, I'm going to try to say yes when I get asked to do things. I'm going to do my very best regardless of the circumstances. I got asked this week 
to speak at Kataba on Tuesday. It was wonderful. It was, a, it was a lovely invitation. I'm grateful they have kind of like a, a prayer service on Tuesdays, and this was their first one for Lent on Tuesday at 11. Okay, what's the big sacrifice there, right? Tuesday is my weekend. It's my day off, all right? I mean, it's okay. It's all good, but it's like, you know what? It's fine. I'm going to go. I don't get to do that much at Kataba. I'm honored that they asked me. It's going to be great. So come in, I'm there, it's 11 o'clock, and at Kataba, I'm always amazed, we've got a lot of parishioners that are on faculty and staff at Kataba, and many of them came. I was just touched that they were there. And some of them are parents of kids in the school. And one of the moms said to me that her son Warren, who I think is actually here, I think I saw him come in, that Warren said to her, what, Father John is talking at Kataba? He can't talk today. Today's his day off, and he needs his rest. I mean, you talk about glory from heaven in the midst of making a small penance. Was that the biggest penance ever? Of course it wasn't. You know, it was lovely. It was a nice thing to get to do. Glad it was there. But, you know, when we participate, when we enter into what our Lord is asking us to do, making self-sacrifice, you know, taking this seriously, it's sort of like we have these transfiguration moments along the way. But I think the way to make sure that we are recognizing them is we've got to do what the Heavenly Father tells us to do in this gospel. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Because I think the problem is, is if we just kind of try to like, you know, white knuckle it and strong arm it through, I'm just going to go through this. Okay, but that's not what it's all about. He wants us more and more in communication with him, resting in his love, seeing the glory of heaven burst through in all of these little moments as we move on to unite ourselves with him more fully. And it happens in a day-by-day way. How appropriate it is on this Sunday that the response royal psalm was, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We got to keep going, step by step. Is it all drudgery and hardship, poor unfortunate souls? Of course it isn't. And is it one long party where we're just indulging in everything that we gave up? No. But we all know in our bones that's not life. But Jesus Christ entered into it. In fact, the Heavenly Father gave us his Son. And because of that, as St. Paul tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but handed him over for us all. He's in this with us. He doesn't just want us at home in our pajamas just being comfortable. And we know in our bones that that's not where we find fulfillment anyway. And he shows us in the midst of our making of the sacrifices that he's in this. That his light bursts through in all sorts of ways. And if we stop and we listen to him, he helps us to see where they're coming from, where they are. But we got to show up and we got to persevere to see more and more that that love is in our midst, that he has come to give it to us. And in fact, we get the beautiful foretaste in the Eucharist. And the way that the transfiguration wraps up, right? It's like all of a sudden, there they were, just with Jesus alone in their midst. The Eucharist is so much like that. Calvary is present. The resurrection is present. And yet it's all there in mysterious form. And it's almost like, and then all of a sudden, just Jesus was there present with them. My friends, as we walk through this life, in good times and in bad, he is with us. And it's important, especially during the season, that we take the time to listen to him, to see, even in the midst of Calvary, that that love of Christ bursts through. And the glory of this life is that as we move on towards the resurrection, it's not a mere happily ever after, like at the end of The Little Mermaid, right? 
we are moving on towards eternal redemption and life with him. Are there crosses and penances along the way? You bet. But the beautiful thing is, is that he does not leave us alone. He walks with us. Let's pray for the grace and put in the time to be with him, to listen to him, and to see that glory even in the midst of Calvary. Praise be Jesus Christ.